And by grace, we'll stand on our feelings. On your promises. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. His truth never fails. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read from verses 1 to 17, and then we're going to look at verses 15 and 16 this morning. Um, We're getting some encouragement from the fact of our adoption, some instruction on the Spirit's witness, and uh, then we'll talk about uh, being heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ next time, kind of setting the stage for then talking about, you see as we flow through chapter 8, talking about suffering. So... um, Rich treasures in this section and rich treasures in this chapter. So I'm going to begin in verse 1 and read through 17. This is the Word of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, To live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Thus far, God's Word. Let's pray together. Lord, again, this is Your Word. Your Spirit must attend the preaching of the Word. Your Spirit must apply Your Word bringing to faith those who don't know you, planting gospel seeds, growing in grace those of us who do know you, Lord. May your spirit illumine and apply your word to our hearts. May we understand it better as a result of being here today. 
May we have more comfort in you, more peace in you, walk more strongly in assurance in Christ as a result of being here today. So bless me to preach your word in the power of the Spirit. Bless us to hear it in the power of the Spirit. Do your work that only you can do through the preached word. We ask for it and we trust for it. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Some will win and some will lose. Some are born to sing the blues. Whoa, the movie never ends. It goes on and on and on. Strangers waiting up and down the boulevard. Their shadows searching in the night. Streetlights, people. Look, living, living just to find emotion. Hiding somewhere in the night. Don't stop believing. Hold on to that feeling. A lot of smiling faces who were alive in 1981 might remember, or who like that genre of music might remember that song by the band Journey, Don't Stop Believing. The song highlights a problem for us. And it also gives us a false solution to that problem. What is the problem? Certainty. Believing. Certainty is hard to come by in this world. We all want to be certain about our decisions, our choices, our past, our present, our future. We want certainty. We want to be certain about those things. And we know without God there is no certainty. We can play games all we want to, but if there is no God, there is no objective basis for, for anything. Therefore, there is no certainty. But we know there is a God, and the resurrection proves there is a God. So there is an objective foundation for our certainty. It's attainable, and especially in regard to our salvation. We have sufficient ground to not stop believing, to continue believing. And to have comfort in believing. See, the song points us to, it says, don't stop believing, hold on to that feeling. That's the false solution. Looking to our feelings. Basing things on our feelings. See, we are immersed in a culture right now that is living by the seat of its pants. It's living by its feeling. It's living by its desire. How you feel defines you. Now, won't you listen to me this morning? Because sometimes in the church, we also confuse believing with feeling. And we attach the two. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is not a feeling. And feelings are not the foundation of anything. Something is not true or untrue based on how we feel about it. And thankfully, God doesn't root us in our feelings. We don't, we don't disregard or not pay attention, right? But they're, they're not the driver. They're the caboose of the train. 
They can be, and I say can be, reliable indicators sometimes. But we don't look to them for definition. We don't look to them for meaning. We don't look to them for certainty. Well, we're in the midst of a study in the book of Romans. And we're in chapter 8. So we've seen, and I'm really going to summarize this. We've seen Paul desire to write, uh, desire to go to Rome and preach the gospel. So he's writing to them and telling them the gospel which he preaches. And he starts by showing guilt. He shows that Jew and Gentile are guilty before God and need a Savior. He then turns and says, Jesus is that Savior. And through faith in Jesus, which that faith is even a gift to us, through faith in Christ, we're united to Christ. We are justified on the basis of Christ. Don't forget your definitions now, justification, sanctification. not going over that this morning. But because God has worked faith in us and we have trusted in Christ, we've been hidden in Him, if you like. We've been united to Him. So that we, through faith and faith alone, sola fide, through faith in Christ, we've been forgiven for all of our sins and clothed in Christ's righteousness or His righteousness has been credited to our account. So that our, our unrighteous record has been cleansed and it has been, our record has been rewritten with the record of Christ before God so that we are righteous in Christ, righteous before God. Declared righteous by him in his courtroom. Three, chapter 3 through chapter 5. In chapter 6 we started looking at a theology of sanctification. When God brings us to faith in Jesus. When he justifies us. When he saves us. Right? When he forgives us and clothes us in righteousness. He's united us to Christ. He gives us his spirit we'll see. That we were united to Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So he starts talking about union and giving us a theology of sanctification in chapter 6. And that's really what we've been talking about. Moving up 6 through 8. And I'll let you go back and listen to those sermons. We know our relationship to the law now. It can no longer condemn us, right? But it is holy and righteous and good and it guides us in a life of love. We have the power of the Spirit. We are under no condemnation because Christ took our condemnation. We have the power of the Spirit in order that we might walk in the righteous requirement of the law and be growing in that. See, we're not glorified yet. He's not finished with the work. There should be growth in our life. So Paul's been immersing us in the truth about the Spirit in chapter 8. And he's, he's contrasted the ways of the flesh and the Spirit to help us understand what he's talking about. Showing us that we're not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If we believe in Christ, we have the Spirit. The Spirit indwells us and gives us life. So we're not indebted to the flesh to live for it but to the Spirit. So all who have the Spirit and all who are led by the Spirit are actively putting sin to death in their life. That's what it means. That's how God manifests His self in our lives. Remember? And you can see that. You can see right there in verse 13. That if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And then he says, all who were led by the Spirit. How? Led in that way by the Spirit. These are the sons of God. And so we're going to pick up right there this morning in chapter 8. And like I said, we're getting a little bit of encouragement before we move into the topic of suffering. Paul's going to encourage us about our adoption and show us how we have assurance and then tell us next time what it means to be a co-heir with Christ. And so today, how do we find security and assurance in Christ Jesus? I don't know if you can relate to this, but I really struggled with assurance of salvation when I first came to faith. 
And I was in a setting where the gospel was basically the door in, and then, it, you know, you, you, you got on the treadmill. But I was looking everywhere but, but to the right place for my assurance. And I was looking at my feelings and my circumstances and all this, so naturally I'm tossed by the waves. I prayed the sinner's prayer. I, don't, I couldn't tell you how many times, just to make sure it took. I really struggled because I wasn't standing on the rock, which is Christ. By default, I was kind of leaning on myself. But today, how do we find security and assurance in Christ? And the answer is by looking to the spirit of adoption and assurance. And that's what we're going to talk about in verses 15 and 16. So here's what I want you to take away. And again, we're going to dig into the theology of this more this morning. And then tonight we're going to sort of put a, uh, uh, try to put a little more depth on it and some practical uh, help on it. And tonight will be more of of an interactive thing like our previous studies. So if you have questions, you can ask them, uh, you know, anything like that. But tonight we're going to think about assurance again. But this morning we're going to look at verses 15 and 16 and see this. You have, and when I say you there, I'm talking to Christians. If you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, if God has worked repentance and faith in your heart such as you've turned and trusted in Christ, then this is true of you. If you're not in Jesus Christ, this is not true of you. But can be. You'll turn to Him. So Christian, you have received the spirit of adoption who works in you through His Word to give you the assurance of your salvation. Christian, you have received the spirit of adoption. If you're in Christ, you have Him. There's no tiered relationship with the Lord in in Christ. You have Christ, you have the Spirit, you have the Father, you have all. You have received the Spirit of adoption who works in you through His Word to give you the assurance of your salvation. So let's look at verse 15. We're flowing out of verse 14. We're flowing out of being led by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body. And now, you know, he's describing more here and our, our current situation in Christ and the fact that we have the Spirit and what the Spirit does. And he says, For... Connecting, flowing with his argument. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. In other words, since you are in Christ, this is not like it was before you were in Christ. Right? You, you did not, you know, you're not in slavery to sin anymore. You're not under condemnation anymore. So you don't walk around, or you shouldn't walk around, and understanding these things, hope it will help you. Christian, you shouldn't be walking around fearing that you're lost, fearing that you haven't done enough. Let me stop. You haven't done enough. You haven't done enough. You will never do enough. Your salvation, your acceptance by God is not based on what you do. It's, it's based on Christ and who He is and what He's done. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, revealed in the Word, right? Reformation. So we don't walk around fearing that we haven't done enough. I used to. Walk around fearing that we're not good enough. Just go ahead and accept it. We're not. That's why He came. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Not fearing that God is out to get me. Not fearing God's wrath. See, you should have this kind of fear first. If you don't know Jesus 
And you've not been brought to this kind of fear where you are afraid of God and afraid of His judgment and afraid of His condemnation knowing that that's what you deserve. That is, that is the door. Conviction of sin. Right? So we should come through that as we come to Christ. So have you owned the fact that you're lost and need a Savior? If you're a Christian, obviously you have. If you're not a Christian, you must. You don't want to wait till you stand before God at the judgment to figure this out. See, we should have a terror of God and a conviction of sin. We should understand that we deserve wrath and, and, and that that wrath is coming because of sin. But praise God, there's a Savior. Why did Jesus come? He didn't just come to be a good teacher. Although He is one. He didn't just come to make you feel good about yourself or to make your life a little more comfortable or for you to have a little more. Jesus came because we were lost and needed a Savior. He came and He was born in a humble condition, born under His own law, that He might fulfill the law and fulfill all righteousness because we had broken the law. He had a perfect record of righteousness. The Son of God, the Lamb of God, deserved only blessing. But He went to that cross. Why did Jesus, why did the Son of God die? One word, sin, our sin, our falling short of the commandments, our rejecting God's ways. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Scripture says. So Christ came and lived a perfect life and then He took our guilt upon Himself and died a perfect death. He perfectly atoned for all of our sin, which all was future when He, when he did it. And he said, it is finished before he left the cross. He was humbled under the power of death for a time, but the third day he rose from the grave. Blew the door off the tomb, rose from the grave, proving it's all true, ascended into heaven where he reigns now and he's coming again. Christ, that scripture say, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and he was raised the third day according to the scripture. Witnessed by over 500 people at one time with his disciples for over 40 days. Irrefutable proof of the resurrection. Trust him. Turn to him and trust him. Rest in him. Never forget this gospel. Remember it every day. Because we have not been born again to and received the Spirit in order to live in that kind of slavery, that slave, slavish fear where we're fearing the lash and God's out to get us and all of that. We should come to, to terror and conviction before we come to Christ, but once we come to Christ, something's different. Our kind of fear is different. So you see this in Romans 6, 23. We've already seen this. The wages of sin is death. The payoff of sin is death. Physical death, spiritual death. Death in this life, ceasing to live before the judgment bar, eternal hell. The wages of sin is death. But, now watch this. The almost free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's not qualified like that, is it? Salvation is a free gift. 
The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we turn from going our own way and we turn toward God, we receive His Son. Jesus is free to us. Salvation is free to us because Christ has paid for it. We are reconciled to God through the life, death, burial, and resurrection. And when we come to faith in Jesus, we're forgiven for all of our sins. Yes, that's half of it. But we're clothed in His righteousness. His, his righteousness is... Our sin goes to Him. His righteousness comes to us. The great exchange. So while we once may have had a slavish fear, that's not what we've been given when we receive the Spirit. That, that what we've been given is that family fear, that fear of God that is the fear that a child would have of a good father. Not, not of a wicked father, but of a good father who loves them that they want to please and that grieves them when they don't please him. If you're in Christ, you're in the family of God. And that's not your own doing. Look, at, look back at verse 15. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but... You, Christian, all Christians, you have received, notice have received, perfect there, you have it, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. When we come to faith in Jesus, we're not just forgiven, and we're not just clothed in righteousness, as glorious as that is, we are adopted into the family of God. This is my Father's world. We sang it, right? That is true for you if you're a believer. John 1, 11 to 13. He came to His own. Think Jews there, Jewish people. And His own people, by and large, did not receive Him. But watch this. To all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become stepchildren of God. Children. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of, the, not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God. See, we were lost and Christ comes. The incarnate gospel comes. He lives for us. He dies for us. He was raised for us. And at the right time, God saw to it that we were under the preaching of His Word. And His Spirit caused us to be born again through the preaching of His Word. And then that's when we turned and trusted. See, you're born again before you repent and have faith. We're dead in sins. The, word, the Spirit applies the Word to us and gives us life. So that we turn and we trust in Christ, repentance and faith. And we are justified, we are adopted, and we are sanctified. All by grace. All by grace. You have received, look at the way it describes the Spirit. We've seen the Spirit of Christ. We've seen the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit. A lot of ways the Spirit is described. But here, He's the Spirit of adoption. Because He applies that redemption to us that was purchased by Christ and it's a full package. And so if you've come to faith in Jesus, you're a child of God. You are a child of the King. You're not a stepchild. You're not a cousin. You've been adopted. 
Shorter Catechism number 34 says, what is adoption? If you're not familiar with catechisms, it's just questions and answers about what the Bible teaches, right? And these are good, tried, and true questions. What is adoption? Now watch this great description of adoption. Adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. The children of God. Here's a great description. Aaron Minikoff. I got this out of Table Talk online. Look in here. Watch this. this. Is this in the bulletin? Good, yeah. You can meditate on this, this list at the end. Adoption is the gracious act of God wherein He makes justified sinners His beloved children. To be adopted is to receive God's name and to have access to God's throne, His pity, His protection, His provision, His discipline, and His promise to never abandon us. See, in this world, a legal adoption can be nullified. You can go back on that. But a spiritual adoption, the spiritual adoption in Christ will never be nullified. He will never go back on it. The soul that was justified is adopted, is sanctified, and will someday be glorified. Look at that. You have God's name on you. You're His child. You have access to His throne. It's a throne of grace described in Hebrews. You have His pity, His protection, His provision, His discipline. And think positive and negative when you see discipline. Teaching is discipline. I'm doing church discipline right now in that I am teaching the truth. That's the positive side, if you want to put it that way. The corrective side is when we have to go the other way. So God teaches, instructs, and corrects His children. And His promise never to abandon us. I didn't give this to, to Ian, but you know the verse. But 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. Listen to me. Look at me. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are loved by the Father as much as He loves His Son. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are as righteous before the judgment bar of God as His Son is. Please let that set you free. You're empowered with the same Spirit that raised Him from the dead. He's given you a new heart and new affections. You are the child of God. Look what kind of love the Father has bestowed upon you. Wow. We're supposed to say, wow. It's supposed to be amazing to us that a holy God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the sustainer of all that is, the Lord God of the universe would adopt us into his family after all of the ways we've disregarded him and sinned against him and rejected him. Because of his son Jesus Christ, this is true. You have the spirit of adoption. Look back at verse 15. By whom we cry, Abba, Father, See, this is the cry of the adopted. This is the cry of the child of God. This was the cry of the Son of God. Abba, comma, Father. Literally, that word cry 
is a screen. It's a loud cry, especially in suffering. See, we're getting ready to talk more about suffering when we get to verse 18. Faith cries out to the God as Father, even in the midst of the darkness. Faith looks to God the Father through God the Son, by God the Spirit. And cries, Father. Abba means Father. It's an Aramaic term. Uh, and it's how Jesus addressed the Father in Mark 14, 36. Uh, for those of you who take notes, that's a good thing to write down. You can go look at it later. Abba was used by both children and adults to refer to their father. It's a, it's a, it's a term that suggests intimacy. Uh, it's best conveyed by something like dear father. Daddy might be taking it a little too far. Dear father. Dear father. Even in the midst of our deepest holes. Dear father. I don't understand this, but I trust you. How can I trust you? I look to the cross. I, looked, I don't understand this situation, but I look to the cross. And I know you have me. See, he's the, we have the spirit of adoption. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to cry out to, to look to God as Father, even in the midst of our whole, our suffering that we might be in or will be in or were in. However, we need to learn from that. We have the spirit of adoption as the guarantee of our salvation. We see that in Ephesians 1 and we've looked at that. His permanence residence in us and we will never be unadopted. Once the Spirit takes up permanent residence in you, He will never leave. Ever. He's taken up permanent residence in us and we are the children of God. We know that because we have the Spirit. The Spirit is kind of our title deed, right? He's the proof. And we'll see how we know He's present in us. And we've seen that in a number of ways. Think about my truck. How do I know that my truck is my truck? Is it just because I feel like it's my truck? Well, you might feel like it's your truck. We might be at loggerheads. Well, I feel like it's my truck. No, I feel like it's my truck. Well, I have a word from the state. It's called a title. But I have a word that shows me that it's my truck and shows you that it's my truck, whether you accept that or not. But the title is the proof. See, the Spirit is the proof of our adoption. And He confirms that to us. He's the Spirit of adoption, but number two, He's also the Spirit of assurance. Look at verse 16. And this is one of those verses that mystics like to go to, right? And rip it out of its context and do all sorts of weird things with it. But I want you to watch this. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So what is the Spirit's witness? Does that mean I hear a voice from the Spirit? Does that mean I have a, a, a certain holy feeling? 
what, what does that mean? Well, I don't know. So, amen, we're done. We're, <laughs> I'm going to try to show you what that means. We'll just look at the words. The Spirit Himself, emphatic, right? Now, look what the Spirit does. He bears witness. Let's stop and think about that a minute. How do we bear witness to something? We use words, right? When I bear witness in a courtroom, I use words. If, if I'm asked to testify about something, I can't just sit there. I have to speak. And it's the same with the Spirit. So the Spirit testifies by using words. The Spirit bears witness with words. The question is, what words are they? They're His words. It's His Bible. It's His inspired Word. He has spoken. It is sufficient for life and godliness. Everything we need, including our comfort from assurance, is found here. This is the Word that God inspired, and it's the Word that the Spirit illumines and applies God witnesses, the Spirit witnesses with our spirit with His Word. I've told you all before, and it's true. The Spirit doesn't work apart from the Word in our sanctification. The witness of the Spirit is not a feeling. The witness of the Spirit is not direct and personal revelation. It's not a voice. See, here's the mistake we make so often. We look inside. Don't we? We look inside to see if, if it feels true. If it seems true. We look at ourselves. And for comfort and assurance, we're never told to look to ourselves. Or in ourselves, we're told to look to Christ. And the only way we can look to Christ is through the Word, which is the revelation of the Spirit to us. See, this verse is not meant to get us to look within and see if we feel a certain way. So we need to know that faith is not a feeling and the Spirit's witness is not a feeling. There's content to His witness. Look. Look, there's content. The Spirit bears witness with words to the fact of what? That we are the children of God. That we, who's we? Those who are trusting Christ. Christians are the children of God. Where are we told that we are the children of God? In His Word. See, I want to, I've been trying and I've used, taught, said this about other verses of Scripture. There's, there's some theologies in the church that will almost seek to detach you from the Word, get you into personal experience, and have you be the measure of all things and find joy here. When true Christianity is, 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 is of the book, it's of the Spirit applying the book to our... It's of Spirit applying the Word. This is how we know who God is. This is how we know who Jesus is. This is how we know who we are. And it's the living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, sword of the Spirit that He uses to accomplish all of His purposes in our life. 
See, the, the content is that we are the children of God. In order for me to know that I'm a child of God, there must be an objective basis for that. Not a subjective basis like feelings. There has to be an objective basis. And there is. It's the Word of God. It's the promises of God. We have everything necessary for life and godliness, Peter tells us, through His promises, through His Word. The Spirit bears witness through the Word of God and works to produce faith in me as well as to confirm faith in me. It is done through the Word. The witness of the Spirit is not a private revelation. It's not a mystical experience. It's not a feeling. It's not extraordinary. It's part of life in what we call the ordinary means of grace. The witness of the Spirit is not a private revelation, but a private confirmation through the Word of God that I am a child of God. See, this says the Spirit witnesses with our spirit. It doesn't really mean, it's not testimony where the Spirit's alongside our spirit either. But he's, he's working in us that we might know that we're children of God, and He does that through the Word. I'll just give you, I mean, you can find this at the end of the Gospel of John, and you can find it in a lot of other places. But I'm just give you one verse. How can I know that I'm a child of God? How can I know that I have eternal life? Well, look what John said in 1 John 5, 13. I know this is the verse that, that people snatch out of the book and try to use for assurance without using the book. Don't do that. Read the whole book. But look what John says in 1 John 5.13. Now watch how we know, right? Because assurance is knowing that you have eternal life. Assurance is knowing that you're a child of God. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He could have said that you may have assurance that you have eternal life. So eternal life comes through the Word. Do you see it? I've, this is how you know that you have eternal life. Uh, John wrote his gospel so that we might know Christ as the Son of God and trust in Him and have eternal life in Him. And the same guy is saying, I wrote down these things that you may know that you have eternal life. So by reading these things that I have written, you can know whether or not you have eternal life. And if you're a Christian, as you read those things that he has written in 1 John, the book was specifically written for assurance, so that's why I'm pointing you there. The Spirit will take that word and either confirm, confirm that He's working in you or maybe confirm that you don't know Him. Now, if you go to that book and look perfect, for perfection, you're going to come away thinking you don't know Him. Remember, I've told you, those are evidences of a work of grace. And the question is, are they present and growing in me, not are they perfect? Remember glorification. We're not glorified yet. But as we read 1 John, we will see that we do love and trust Christ. And we wish we loved Him and trusted Him more. We do love the brethren. We do hate sin and want to be free from it and confess it and seek to be forgiven and delivered. And the Spirit will illumine and apply that Word so that those who've looked to Christ will have assurance that they're God's children. So our confidence that we are a child of God must come from and through His Word. We look to Christ through His Word and we find help and hope and salvation and rest of soul. We look to Christ in His Word and we find 
growing assurance. To have assurance is to have confidence in God's promises. See, God tells me that if I will trust in Jesus, I'm His child. And if I find that I have trusted in Jesus, see how the Word confirms us. To have assurance is to have confidence in God's promises. It's not confidence in a certain feeling. It's gospel confidence. Think of assurance as gospel confidence. It really just means I believe the gospel, right? I believe Jesus is the Son of God who died to pay the penalty for my sin, who was raised for my justification, who's reigning and coming again. I believe that. I believe that because it's, the Spirit has worked that in me. And as I review that, He's confirming that that is true in my heart. So it's gospel confidence. It's a trust in God through trusting in His promises. And I look and I find, yes, I, re- I mean, I struggle, but I'm really trusting those promises. And therefore, I back away in my weakness and imperfection with assurance. Because I've come away assured that God is working in me by His grace. But the Spirit is not going to strengthen you apart from through His Word and in all the ways that He strengthens you, including your assurance. And to the extent that you look somewhere else, you will struggle. I mean, you'll struggle enough looking in the right place. Because listen, look at me. Maybe some of you wonder. Some of us struggle with assurance more than others. Look around at your brothers and sisters. Nobody in this room has a perfect faith, Amen. including this one. We will, we're not glorified yet. We still have times of struggle and doubt, but God grows us through them all. We just don't like them. We want to be free of them immediately. Assurance is gospel confidence. Assurance is knowing that you know that you're trusting Christ. And that comes through the Spirit applying the Word. It's it's really resting your hope in Jesus. Resting your hope for eternal life in nothing other than Christ. And knowing that that's a work of the Spirit. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. How, how can I know, John, that I'm a child of God? Through, through reading the Word and the Spirit witnessing through that Word to confirm me and give me a growing gospel confidence that I'm in Christ. It is not based on your circumstances. It is not based on your feelings, your experiences, I know a lot of people who don't know Jesus who at one time claimed to have a great experience of turning to Him in faith. Maybe even sparks flew from their hair. I don't know that, but I'm just being funny. But see, don't we all want assurance? Don't we all want to lay our head on our pillow at night and know, you know, the children's prayer? If I should die before I wake, right? I give you my soul to take. To know that we're right with the Lord. Well, we'll only do it as we're rooted and grounded in Christ through the Scriptures. The Spirit's witness is the Spirit witnessing through the Scriptures. We'll talk more about that tonight. I want to give you some hindrances to assurance and some helps to assurance as we quit this morning. Here are some hindrances to you having assurance of salvation. The first one is relying on your feelings. 
I guarantee you, you'll feel saved on good days and lost on bad days. You'll ride that roller coaster of emotion. And when you're down here, you'll think you're lost. And when you're up here, you'll think you're saved. And right around in here, you won't be quite sure. Christians have days. Listen to me. All true Christians have days, and maybe it's more than days, when they don't feel saved. All true Christians have times when they feel dead inside. God makes them productive, and we'll talk more about that. So don't rely on your feelings. That's a hindrance to finding true assurance. Number two, spiritual negligence. Maybe some will call it backsliding. Careless living. What do I mean by that? Ignoring the means of grace. Listen. Why do you think I push you so hard to be in the Word? To be memorizing the Word? And, I, and, and, and hopefully that's matching up with the desire that you have. The Spirit produces that kind of desire in the, in the life in which He is in. But we won't be walking spiritually strong if we're not feeding on the means of grace. Primarily prayer in the Word. Now, I've told you all this before. I have a lot of people come to me and say, I'm struggling and I don't understand why. And I, I just, I just, I just I, I'm, I'm this original odd duck somehow. That, and I'll, say, I'll press into just a little bit about time in prayer with the Lord, time in the Word. Well, I'm not doing that. I want to ring a bell when, well, then of course you're struggling. I mean, you don't guarantee that you won't struggle, but you'll struggle in faith if you're, if you're in the means of grace. If, if, if you come to me and you're saying, I'm so tired and I have a headache and I'm sick at my stomach and I don't really feel good, and I say, well, tell me about your water drinking. Well, I don't drink water. Well, tell me about your food. I don't eat. Ring the bell. Here's a meal. I promise you, you'll feel a lot better. See, we, we, we want to be spiritually negligent and then stay spiritually strong. That's just not how God works it. He gives us a means. These means of grace are the things through which He has promised to draw near to us as we draw near to Him and strengthen us. And prayer and the Word are primary. You will default to self-focus and despair or pride and presumption. If you ignore the means of grace. So spiritual negligence, relying on feelings, C is pretty obvious, embracing particular sins. God will discipline His child who turns to idols. I mean, look at David's life, right? When David turned from the Lord and stole a man's wife and had that man killed, he went on being king and probably from the outside maybe things looked fine with him. But when he confessed his sin, he said he had been dying inside. It was like God was crushing his bones. He was spiritually shriveled up and suffering. God would, if you are his child, well, let me say this. If you profess to be his child and you can ongoingly be happy in a sinful course of life, that's probably showing you that you're not his child. Because if you are his child, he will discipline you if you are embracing sin and refusing to repent of it when he convicts you of it. Number four, walking in guilt. And I'm, I'm primarily thinking about the Christian here who just 
has this thing where we just carry this guilt for some things, right? There, there's some things that we've done. Yes, I'm a believer and I'm going to heaven, but there's some things that I've done that I, I just can't believe God will forgive me for. These particular things are just too bad for Jesus to have atoned for. So you, you might go and confess them and cry over them and ask for forgiveness and then you get up and take them with you instead of leaving that pack before the cross. Believe the gospel. You're either forgiven for everything or nothing. If you're a child of God, Christ paid for it all. And it is finished. So don't carry guilt that Jesus has atoned for. The next one, <clears throat> spiritual attack. Read Ephesians, read Peter, read the, read the Word. The devil ro- roams about as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. What does he want to devour? Your faith, your assurance. He wants to pull the rug out. He wants to get you looking at yourself, looking at anything, looking away from God. That's what he did with Adam and Eve, right? Look how this will benefit you and help you. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. See, it's not some kind of go around casting demons out of every tree. Peter said, stand firm in your faith and know that God will strengthen you in due time. Look to Jesus. Rest in Jesus, right? Every time somebody's struggling with something, you have some people that will come up and say, well, you have a demon of adultery or you have a demon of, of gluttony or fried chicken or whatever the demon is. Really probably have an idol rather than a demon. <laughs> Stand firm in the faith is the way. But just be aware. The world, the flesh, and the devil, yes, your own flesh. Yes, the world you live in, and they are against you. So be alert. Live in the means of grace. Legalism. Legalism will rob you of assurance. Legalism will start making you look to yourself and your performance. There's, there's no more miserable people on the planet than legalists. They look holy and they act holy and they talk holy and they'll tell you all the ways you're not holy. Rest in grace. Rest in Christ. And then the last one I just want to mention is providence. And this is not really a hindrance. This is just a truth. Okay? Sometimes, you know this about trials, any kind of trial. Sometimes you have done nothing wrong. You are faithfully seeking God and, and for His own purposes, your confidence fades. Your assurance might fade. You might go through a time when the ceiling feels like brass and you feel dead inside. And like Job, you had, never, you had not done anything wrong. But you can trust God in the darkness. You can walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He hasn't left you. But he's, why, why might that happen? Well, to test us, to see if we're really leaning and trusting in His grace and leaning on Him. Come what may, we're trusting Him. Tests our faith, yes. But it also grows us. And here's a few ways that those times of spiritual struggle grow us. They help us to better understand the bitterness of sin. They keep us humble and God-reliant instead of self-reliant. 
They keep us submissive. Lord, our prayer should be characterized by your will be done. As it is in heaven, so on earth, in my life. Those times we go through when we don't have assurance. Listen, if you're a Christian and you have never struggled with assurance, you're a really odd duck. A really odd duck. Because most of us, I would dare say all of us at some point in God's providence will struggle. But it makes us value assurance more in faith. If we have faith, it makes us pursue God more. And listen, if it's none of, that, none of the rest of that, we know He's growing us through everything and He makes all things work for us now. The last one is He's going to use you at some point in the future to help somebody else who's in that dark hole and can't figure out why. You will have been there and therefore you can come alongside them and help them to wait on the Lord and to wait well and to wait in faith. So watch out for these hindrances. Be aware of God's providence. It doesn't necessarily mean you've sinned when things go wrong or when you feel like you don't have faith. Examine yourself to see if that's the case. But, uh, and then don't be Job's counselors with others and just assume that they've done wrong. Number two, and, and I'll finish with, helps to assurance. Number one, gospel. Every day. Never forget the gospel. You never grow past the gospel. You always need the gospel. You need to remember who you are and why you need Jesus and who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Be resting in Christ and in grace alone. I mean, we've seen it in Romans. Justification by faith alone. Without it, there'll be no peace. An act of God's grace and his work of grace and sanctification. But remember the gospel. Remember who Christ is. Remember why he lived. Remember why he died. And therefore, remember who you are in him, forgiven, clothed in his righteousness. Loved of God. You are a child of God, empowered by his spirit. You need to remember who you are. So remember the gospel every day. Number two, love God by daily seeking him in his word and prayer, in the means of grace. Listen, don't. Wait till you struggle to cry out to the Lord. To look, you, It's going to be hard to dig in the Word and hard for these things when you're in the midst of that trial. We need to be in His Word and in prayer. We need to be spending time with Him every day. So re- remember the Gospel every day. Look to Christ in the Word. Remember the Spirit uses the Word to confirm us. <clears throat> so be in it every day. And then see self-examination regularly. This is one we struggle with for some reason. But the Word tells us to, to, to examine ourselves, to see if we be in the faith, to make our calling and election sure, to see if what we're claiming about ourselves actually matches up with what the Word of God says. So, And then repeat that cycle. Gospel, Word, self-examination, which will lead to hope and growth and more and more assurance, generally speaking, if you're a child of God. Just because you have faith doesn't mean you'll have assurance. We'll talk about more, more about that tonight. And then the fruit of this, you'll be kept humble. You'll be kept seeking God. You'll be growing and resting in His Son. And then review regularly the blessings. 
That's just just a few of the benefits of redemption. Adoption. You're a child of God. Union. You're in union with Christ. Atonement. He has fully paid for your sins. Make your calling and election sure. And then the helps to assurance. I'll end where I started. Don't rely on feelings. Why am I hammering that? It's because we do this. We do this. I just don't feel saved. I don't care, really, how you feel. I mean, I want you to feel good, but how you feel doesn't determine anything. It might mean that you've just been spiritually lazy, right? Don't rely on your feelings. Don't ignore them, but don't rely on them, but rely on God's truth. So I'll twist the song just a little bit. Don't stop believing. Hold on to God's promises, not to the feelings. And listen, and then take those gospel promises that you're marinating in to all those strangers that are in the song wandering around looking for hope. A wash in a sea of emotion and feelings. Help them find a sure hope in Jesus. Rest in Christ and in Christ alone and you will have a true and growing assurance of your salvation by the work of the spirit of adoption and the spirit of assurance. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Wean us from ourselves. Work in us. And maybe for some of us, renew in us a desire for your word. Help us not to wait on a desire before we get into your word. Help us to be in it and to get in it. But just refresh us, renew us. And Lord, center our hope, our peace, our rest, our assurance on your Son. Lord Jesus, help us to trust you that you have lived perfectly for us, that you have died perfectly for us, that you've been raised perfectly for us. You are reigning perfectly for us and you are coming again someday. And when you return, we will be like you, glorified with you forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, so deliver us from all faults, sources of hope and assurance and root us and ground us in the means of grace, your word applied by your spirit through our prayer and time in it and time with you, bringing us to faith and nurturing us in faith. Lord, save any that be in here or listening to my voice via another means that don't know you. We would pray for their salvation and entrust them to you. And Lord, those of us who do know you, just reignite a fire in us for you. Revive us. Renew us, strengthen us, and help us to see that the Spirit works through the Word to both bring us to faith and to nurture us in faith and to give us assurance. Thank you for the spirit of adoption and assurance. Thank you that we are your children. And we look to you this morning and trust and rest in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.